Well, as of this morning, I know that my husband has a direct line to God. Because yesterday when I was filling the choir books, he said, you're not going to sing that song for choir tomorrow, are you? I said, yes, I am. We practiced it. We're ready. He said, I want to sing it, and I've got to work tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So, change of plans. I need everybody to get your red hymnal. Turn to 115. You probably don't even have to turn to 115. You probably know it. Love this song. There's so many unstable things in this life. But I have the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And you do too if you're saved. So this is how we're going to do it. We're all going to sing the first verse and the chorus. The ladies are going to sing the second verse. Everybody on the chorus. And then we're going to, the men are going to sing the third verse. Everybody on the chorus, and we're going to repeat the chorus. Okay? So everybody stand up, because we know you can sing better. Stand up. <coughs>
Miss Ann has a special this morning. It's been a long time since I had a special, so I'm really nervous. So I'm going to talk a minute. <laughs> Talking calms me down. I don't know if y'all believe that or not. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to kind of tell you my testimony. When I was 12 years old, it just hit me that I should go up front at church. So I went, but I left out one very important thing. I didn't ask Christ to come into my life. So after I married Steve, I was in my 30s. He was at the deer camp. But we had had this preacher come and preach a revival, and he made it so clear about God's crucifixion, what he went through, what he went through for me, it just kept being on my mind. It was just on my mind so much that I couldn't get it off. And I says, I'm not saved. And I'm going, I'm going to go to hell if I don't take care of this. So one night when Steve was at the deer camp, I was in bed. I was studying my Sunday school lesson. I was pretending to be a Christian, but I was not. So I asked God to come into my heart and to save me. At every sense, I have had a peace in my life that I didn't have before. So I want you all to pray for me as I try to sing this because I really am nervous.
Thank you, Miss Ann, and uh, certainly good to see each of you here uh, this morning. Uh, again, just a great uh, time to be able to minister and encourage people all over the world. Um, in the Philippines, uh, we have three mission points that our church supports, uh, one of them pretty heavily, which of course is REM, Remote Island Ministries, and uh, pray for Brother Glenn, uh, pray for the, the team uh, and the boat can run without him. It uh, runs, of course, with his uh, support, his prayers, uh, he is the the captain, but he's the captain of the ship, the fellow that actually pilots it, has all the licenses and, and everything. And so it's a big team effort. It's a big team effort. We also support the seminary. And uh, it was great to stay there and, and Allie to connect with a lot of the students. A lot of the young ladies that are there at the seminary, there's probably about 30 uh, ladies, uh, young girls, 18 to 19 years old that attend there. And... Uh, or maybe not quite that many, but a lot of guys too. And their attendance is doing good. Seminary is doing good. Brother Ravel, our missionary, is doing good. It'll be good for him to move into town. And uh, that's kind of the game plan, what we were looking at. He's way out in the middle of nowhere and trying to get him into the center of town. The name of the town is called Babak, and uh, uh, B-A-B-A-K. And we even in his uh, his family is doing good, and so I was. A matter of fact, I prepared this message while over in the Philippines, pressing on. In other words, pressing on, and what Paul had to say about that in just a second in Philippians chapter three is about uh, moving forward, about pressing on. Uh, he struggled with his past. He struggled with things that he had done in his early in his life. And so he had to remember and learn, and he said, I've got to press on. I cannot get caught up in the flesh. I, can't get, I don't have time for worldly things. I must press on. And us, in our lives, we can get very busy uh, with uh, life, and we, sometimes we can get our priorities out of line. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. And so as we press on, as our church is doing good. Our spirits sometimes can get uh, distracted. The Lord's work is all over the world. I think about now, when I go to another place such as this, and it's a great privilege and a great honor. And church, again, thank you for sending my wife and I, and then for helping with Allie, uh, getting over there and, and getting to experience that from a, uh, just a total different culture, different lifestyle uh, but they're serving the Lord. There's pastors all over. We probably have over 200 and something ABA churches spread all over the Philippines. So just uh, there's a great work going on over there. A lot of churches here in the U.S. help them out. Let's stand for the reading of God's holy word in Philippians chapter 3. And we will read verse 13 and verse 14. It simply says this it says brethren i count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing i do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth 
unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to press toward the mark and to think about these words that stated here that you inspired Paul to write so many years ago. We can claim this pressing on and accomplishing your will, trying to serve you, live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated and thinking about pressing on. Uh, we were headed to church one day, and we ran across uh, two Muslim women, and they were seated right behind us on this passenger ferry. And uh, you may have seen, that if you're on Facebook, you may have seen this picture. And uh, we were scheduled, this was my second Sunday there, and we were scheduled to have a baptism, and the church that Pastor Revelle uh, pastors that we help, uh, they asked me to do the baptism. And uh, anyway, these two ladies were seated right behind us, and and I just their name just left me. Do you remember their names, Karen? And uh, Anna B is the mom on your right, and Kenball is the daughter on the left, and. Uh, uh, two Filipino Muslims, they live on the island, the same one. There's so many Muslims, and I got to speak to several on the island. But most all of them are very friendly. Uh, never ran across one that was, uh, you know, there, a lot of the radicals get all the attention on the news. and But most of all, especially Asian Muslims, Asian people are friendly anyway. And uh, and so and they, they she started asking me uh, questions about, uh, where I was from, and I wasn't sure. I, I, they looked like Muslims, but I, I had to ask. I said, what religion are you? Because she asked me, so I said, well, you can't tell. We're Muslim. And uh, she didn't say that, but she rolled her eyes like, you know, okay, look. That's <laughs> the way I'm dressed. And uh, so anyway, I went through and I started sharing with her about my relationship. And they call his name Isa, I-S-A. And that's the way the Muslim spelling uh, for Jesus, and uh, his name is spelled different in several languages. That's Arabic for Jesus, and uh, in the uh, Philippines, uh, they pronounce it sound like Spanish, Jesus, and uh, in Eastern Europe, they say Isus, and they Christos, and so his name is pronounced many different ways in many different parts, but same Jesus. Now, they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. As a matter of fact, I said, I know that you don't believe, according to your Koran, that Jesus died on the cross because it says in the Koran that he didn't. And I said, but we do. And I said, matter of fact, we're having a baptism this morning. And I said, in, in baptism, and I was trying to explain to her how to get to heaven. And she looked at me funny when I said baptism. I said, we're going to put people under the water. I said, Jesus, even though the Koran says he, he says he died, even though they say he died differently, he died, and the Quran also says he rose from the grave. Uh, Muhammad didn't, and even though they revere him very much, prophet of Allah. And so I was explaining to her and, and, and telling her about why, how we worship and how we get to heaven through baptism, using that as an illustration. Baptism doesn't send us to heaven, I said, through, but I was using the baptism as a, I said, he died and he was buried. And I said, we put somebody under the water. 
And then he rose again three days later. And that's the reason, of course, we pull him up out of the water. And I said, that's what it represents. And then I went through all of that and I told her what Isa meant to me and how that he saved my soul so many years ago. And so, and she's looking at me quizzically and uh, Mary B. And, and so I'm looking at her. And, uh, and she says, asked me a very interesting question right, right then. She looked at me and she said, do you find it difficult to convince people of what you're saying is true? And uh, I said, well, I said, and it kind of caught me off guard, that particular phrasing. And I said, you know what? And I thought about it a second. I, I said, well. You know what? I've never tried to convince anybody, and I'm not trying to convince you. My job is just simply tell and just simply show. Because if I said, and I told her, I said, very honestly, I said, if I convince you, then it would be Michael Reese convincing. But I said, if I just show you in the Scripture, and I didn't have a copy of the Bible to give her. We had some Sawano John, and uh, that's the dialect. And uh, some in Romans, but I didn't have one. I wish I would have. And uh, but anyway, they all speak. Most people over there speak very good English. So we had a very good conversation. And I said, but I want you and I gave her the scriptures and I quoted several to her and I went through the Romans road. And I said, I'm not trying to convince you, but I just want to share with you. And if the Lord will work in your heart, I said, God, Esau's father. Isa is God's son. The Quran doesn't teach that, but I told her that. I said, Isa is God's only son, and he died for you and rose again three days later. Would you just simply give it a chance, an opportunity? Because she said, do you find that difficult to convince people of what you're saying is true? Well, number one, I knew it was true. I knew what I was telling her was true. But I didn't need to convince her. And I don't need to convince you. My job and your job here in Ashley County is to tell people. Just whether it be your family. And I don't, you know, we've had people come down the aisle. People that have uh, done, made decisions for the Lord. And it shouldn't be because the preacher talked them into it. It shouldn't be because your friend did it. There's a lot of times people, like Miss Ann described, sometimes you may get, you just may respond, but you may respond for the wrong reason. My friend went down, or my relative talked me into this, or whatever. And so Paul, in writing to the Philippian church, was very thankful for their help. And they helped him tremendously in his work. One of the few churches that helped him monetarily. He, he didn't accept a lot of monetarily, monetary help from a lot of churches because they were so poor. He said, I didn't want to be accused of robbing because they were so poor. It would have been like robbery to take from them. But some churches like Philippi were blessed. Not only were they able to send uh, help, financial help, but they were able to send, kind of like we have with Ravel and Glenn, and uh, the, the church sent us over there to the Philippines to be an encouragement. And a church at Philippi did the very same thing. They sent a man, uh, matter of fact, where Paul was writing this, he's writing this from jail, from prison. 
And he was very discouraged, and he was hoping that it wouldn't be a stumbling block. And the church at Philippi said, hey, we got a fella that he's got time off from work, and his name is Epaphroditus, and we can send Epaphroditus. And he can go encourage Paul. Matter of fact, he worked so hard for Paul that he worked himself to to becoming sick. He didn't take care of himself. And so... We just want to break down here in Philippians and just take a look at where uh, Paul was and where we are in our life. And it says here where we are, verse 4, 5, and 6, real quick. It says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. And this is what I call our old pedigree. Our old pedigree, in other words, how, you know, well, I'll tell you what, do you know who my dad is? Do you know uh, who I am? Do you know where I've come from? Do you know what my job is? Paul had that kind of life. He could brag on to, you know, somebody could say, well, I've got a college degree. Well, somebody say, well, I've got a bigger one. You know, they, they could brag on their education. They could brag on their job. They could say, well, you know, well, I've been working at the mill for three years. And somebody could say, well, I've been working at the mill for 43 years. And, you know, you can brag on what you've done in your life. And Paul said, I could do it even more. And then he goes on to say his old pride, I call it, in verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day. In other words, man, I, I, I am as full 100%. I am 110% Jew. <laughs> he said, you know, some Jews brag about their pedigree of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. And this was something that Paul could definitely take pride in. And there's, there's two kinds of pride. There's a good kind of pride, like if your child comes in with a good report card and you say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for having good grades. Uh, you can be proud of your children when they make good decisions. That's a good kind of pride. A bad kind of pride is whenever you are trusting in that more than you're trusting in God. A lot of times we have pride in ourselves. Your way, your thinking, your ideas, and you lift yourself up higher than you ought to. The Bible says to we ought to lower ourselves, and it says that if, if we don't lower ourselves, God will. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. To the humble. And then his old plans, I call it. Now, so right here, verse 4, 5, and 6, what do we have? He talked about his pedigree, his pride, and then his plans. In verse 6, he said, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So Paul, he was saying here that I had plans, I had not only was I a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I was it's kind of like that Jefferson song. I was moving on up, you know, and I was looking. I had great plans to do what I thought was right. Matter of fact, he thought he was doing God's will whenever he threw Christians in jail. And people that were followers of Christ, he didn't realize that he was going against God and going against the... So that's where you think about where we were before you were saved. And... um 
I've been, you know, really proud of O.L. and his decision that he made and, and thinking about he had just gone through the motions and, you know, and here and it corroborated perfectly with Miss Ann's testimony this morning, how that she realized she thought she was saved and realized she wasn't. Folks, that's something you don't mess around with. Just thinking that you're saved and I think I'm going to heaven. Do I know I'm going to heaven? You can know that you're saved. I've actually talked to people before that have been, been a member of the church for 50 years. And I asked them, I said, boy, aren't you glad you're going to heaven? I sure hope I get there. I said, well, it caught me off guard. What? I sure hope I get. You, if you have Jesus as your Savior, you're going. Okay, and I and I said, that's all you got to do. It doesn't matter about making. I mean, we all mess up after we're saved. We all uh, can drift away from God, not read our Bible or pray like we should. But folks, if once you're saved, you're saved and you've accepted Jesus as your savior. And so we think about this. That's something we don't need to mess around with. And so think about where you were before you were saved. I remember even after I was saved and after I surrendered to preach, Michael Reese still had his plans. I remember I said I had man, I had dreams. I wanna I wanna I wanna coach basketball. So I went to Stephen F. Austin State University. And I had my plans. I'd already surrendered to preach, but I still hadn't fully let go. And I had my plans, Michael Reese's plans, and you have may have your plans. It, I was miserable, by the way. God put somebody in my way as a young man by the name of Brian Seminole, and he said, Hey, my father-in-law is the dean of the seminary over in Louisiana. I'm going to make a run over there next whatever day it was, and you want to go? Well, being single and being able to... Just uh, out on my own, I said, sure, no plans, take off. And God said, this is where you need to be, Minden, Louisiana. Not your plans, Michael, but my plans. So it's not about your plans, it's about God's plans. And then think about where we are. Verse 7, we see what I'm going to talk about, priorities and a paradox. Look at verse 7. So all of a sudden, Paul's plans are all changed. He got saved. He comes to know Jesus. And he says, my plans have changed and my priorities have changed. Verse 7 says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In other words, wait a second, I want to be the CEO, the president of the Pharisees. And he said, whoops, once he got saved, that became worthless to him. Somebody asked an old country pastor, never went to seminary one time. He said, uh, well, what if you could stop pastoring this little old country church and become the president of the United States? The country preacher said, why would I want to be demoted? <laughs> the Lord had given him an office. The, the creator, not just a, a country, the creator of all things gave him a position. He said, why would I want to be demoted? Well, folks, that's what he says here. He said, verse 7, I, I had a plan, but those plans are now worthless. And God's plan's important. Your priorities change after you get saved. And if you're backslidden, your priorities, may, in other words, you're saved, but you're Whose plans are you following? 
Whose will are you listening to? Verse 8 is a paradox. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, which means, you know, not only manure, but trash, rubbish, worthless. His paradox now is this, this contradiction. In other words, I, I live a life where the world thinks this important, and I don't think it's important. The world doesn't think the things of the Lord are important. I count those things as important. He said, matter of fact, all these awards. You see this bookshelf over here full of all these Pharisees? I was in grade one. I made a hundred and one on Professor Pharisee's test. He had all the awards. He had all the medals. And he says, I count those things as trash. In other words, it doesn't mean that they weren't worthless, but they weren't important anymore. That I may what? That I may win Christ. He's the most important thing. What are your priorities? What are, what, what are some things that need reversing in your life? What are, what are you counting as important, but the Lord says that's not as important as it, as it used to be? You don't need to be putting that ahead of me anymore. That's the swap. And so many times we think, I've got to accomplish my goals and my dreams, but where's the Lord in that order? Look at that verse 8. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, that's where we are, should be right now. Now, where should we be headed? In verse 9, he talks about his righteousness. And I should be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, I am, Brother Michael, I am a good person. <laughs> but if that's all you're looking at, you should be good because Jesus is good in you. That's the only reason any of us are good. Our goodness without Jesus is worthless. Is is it doesn't it doesn't affect anything. It is really but dung. It's not worth anything. Verse 9, it goes on to say, But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then he goes on to talk about what a new life, a new resurrection. Verse 10. This is a, a neat verse. <clears throat> verse 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable Unto his death. Uh, that's a powerful verse. That I may know him. The only way to know anybody is to spend time with them. And it says here to spend time that I may know him. The fellowship of his sufferings. The, the power of his resurrection. The new life. And then in verse 11. If by any means I may to, might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And by the way, he, he didn't. Now, we're all going to be resurrected. 
But he was hoping maybe for maybe to hopefully be alive when Jesus came back. I remember, uh, as the preacher says, I hope I get to go the cloud way and not the clod way. <laughs> that would be great to avoid being buried. We'll just be changed instantly in the twinkling of an eye. That's going to be awesome. Folks, if you're saved, you will have a brand new life and a brand new body. This life is temporary. This body is temporary. We're going to have a new home in heaven. The Bible says a new name and a new song. That's kind of interesting. But that's that's another sermon. So the resurrection here means that's what you have to look forward to. And then moving on, of course, our text. And uh, verse 12 and verse 13, looking at finally our response. Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Now, this verse 12 really makes verse 13 come alive. And so we'll put it all together and tie it all together right here. Not as though I'd already attained, either are already perfect. Now, it doesn't mean perfect as in without mistake. It means perfect as in mature. I need to grow up. Paul said it this way in another passage. He says, when I, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Basically, it means this, to the, our priorities change. Our maturity changes as we grow. And you can be, it doesn't matter whether you're 5 or you're 85. Maturity is not in age, but in mind and in heart. Saying, I need to lift other people up. I need to be an encouragement. I need to tell others about Jesus. I need to grow up and put start behaving like the Lord wants me to behave. Start living the way the Lord wants me to live. I'm not perfect, verse 12, but I follow after. If I may apprehend, that means grasp, grab a hold of, that for which I am apprehended of. In other words, Jesus, when I got saved, Jesus grabbed me. What does John chapter 10 verses 27 through 30 say? He said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand or my Father's hand. So when you got saved, Jesus grabbed a hold of you, then God put his hand over that, He's got a double grip on you. And then he says, no man, what does it say? It says it twice in John 10, 27 through 30. He says, and nobody is able to pluck them out of my hand or my father's hand. I've got you. So, but what is he saying here in this verse? I'm trying to apprehend who's got me. I'm trying to grab a hold of him. And I, because what? He's my example. He's who I need to live after. Who are you following after? Who's your example? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? You say, well, Brother Michael, I'm grown up. I'm 65, 75, 85. It doesn't matter who do you want to be like. Age doesn't matter. Who do you want to live like? Who do you pattern your life after? You see, so it doesn't matter our age. 
one of the things we could ask these young people when they come up here. You can ask them about their birthday. You can ask them anything. You never know what they're going to say, do you? <laughs> you never know. And that's, great. that's what I love about it. You can also ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Y'all remember that days of dreaming? How many of you ever thought, is your life exactly right now the way you thought it would turn out? In other words, sometimes you say, well, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I'm, I'm retired now, but there are some things I wish I could have done differently. It doesn't matter. You can't change the past, can you? That last verse said this, I press toward the mark for the prize. Of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Who are you reaching for? Who are you striving to be like? If you're not saved this morning as we prepare for a hymn of invitation. If you were to die today. Where would you spend eternity? I I prayed this morning for those uh, two Muslim ladies that I talked to. A mom and a daughter. They did not know Jesus the way I did. She listened to what I had to say, both of them. That, that young Muslim girl, she had a cell phone. She was in there. I said, well, it doesn't matter whether it's the United States or over there. It's all the same. Young people are distracted by technology. Even adults can be. But don't let anything distract you this morning from doing what the Lord wants you to do and putting Him first.